looking back, growing up, our family home was burnt down by the Canberra bushfires and like I lost everything. Yep. And then my brother, he ended up having a major injury and he was like a quadriplegic, paraplegic and then had surgery and regained feeling. He doesn't race anymore, but you know, like those times is just those reality adversity moments. Um, yeah, they spark this fire in me. So when I was in like that lane eight for the final, I was like, bring it on. Like, yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know. Like I love that moment. Um, yeah. And I was in front of the Olympic champion by the second jump and went on to get the fastest lap time for the semi and had lane one for the final. <laughs> of Talking With TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. Another great show, a bumper one. I'm really, really pleased to have on eight times world champion, Caroline Buchanan. She's one of the absolute standouts in Australian sports at the moment. Like I did mention, she's an eight-time world champion across BMX and also mountain biking. If you're into your action sports, you're really going to love Caroline. I know a lot of the you know, listeners out there Really enjoyed the episodes with the likes of Robbie Madison and Mark Matthews and Mark Ocalupo. But I love action sports and I'm really, really stoked to get Caroline on. Before we get Caroline on the show, just a big shout out to everyone tuning into the show. I really appreciate all the support. If you haven't yet, please tell your family and friends about the show. That's the best way for me to grow it. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe for free via iTunes. If you haven't got an iPhone or iTunes, please log on to the website, www.talkingwithtk.com, or if you do have the Stitcher app, you can also find the show on that channel. Please also connect with me. I'm on Facebook, either at Tristan Cannell, that's K-apostrophe-N-E-L-L, or Talking With TK has also got a Facebook page. Twitter, I'm at Talking With TK. LinkedIn, I'm very active, so look me up, Tristan Cannell, K-apostrophe-N-E-L-L, or Instagram, it's Tristan Nell. So please tag me any posts that you want to share with your family or friends, or please get in contact with me. I can also get reached via my email, Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. Please, if you have any athletes from Australia or New Zealand that you really want to see featured on the show, I'll do my best to get them on. But please send through the names, and I'll have a scroll through them. But I'll definitely answer any emails that come through. If you've got any suggestions for the show, any ways that you would like to see me improve it, or things I can cut out, Please send them through. I'm always open for any feedback that I can do to make the show better for all you guys. All right, I'm really excited about this one, so let's get straight to it. Episode 44, I present Caroline Buchanan. All right, guys, my special guest is Caroline Buchanan. Caroline is an eight times world champion, which is three times in BMX and five times mountain biking. She's also a two-time Olympian, having represented Australia in London 2012 and Brazil 2016. I welcome Caroline Buchanan. Caroline, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's an absolute pleasure. 
Let's start with the 8th World Championship, because I know it's just been a recent feat. It was in Italy, so right across the world. Tell us a little bit about the championship. Yeah, it was. Well, bit of like the background, I started in BMX racing, but it was when I was about 15, I jumped into mountain biking. And around that age, I one of my biggest mentors, Lane Beachley, yeah. she was a seven-time world champion, and she basically said to me, you know, like, one day you're going to win more world titles than me, um, you know, and she kind of believed in me. And I remember at the time I sort of sat there and was like, no way in the world. Like, you're an absolute, like, legend. And <laughs> how, how, like, I haven't even won one yet, let alone seven, eight. And, um, yeah, so I set a bit of a goal to myself. And I thought at the time, if I'm doing two different sports of BMX, mountain bike at the highest level, Two world championships basically every year, um, give or take, having a good year, bad year, I should be able to win eight world titles in eight years. And um, that was brought me to this year. Wow. Eight years since I won my first world championship title, um, managed to win my eighth one eight years later. Yeah. Can, just before we break it down even more, I just want to know, because I've been watching a lot, a lot of videos, in terms of BMX and mountain bike, I know they're two separate disciplines but what's the actual difference between the both of them yeah completely different um basically well bmx is short sharp explosive uh roughly a sort of 30 second event it's head-to-head racing so you against seven other competitors it's the olympic format so big start ramp you hit you've got a max speed by the bottom of the ramp about 60 kilometers an hour uh, yeah, it's quite a like high cadence sport. So you basically tapped out by the bottom of the hill, and then you just full revved out for the next twenty seconds around the track <laughs> doing jumps. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was kind of that was my roots. That was where I started when I was five. Um, but yeah, when I turned about fifteen, I decided that I wanted to get a mountain bike a little bit more, which has so many different disciplines from downhill, which is a timed event, top to the bottom of the mountain. Then there's more like dual slalom, which is similar to obviously like snowboarding and skiing. So there's dual slalom with the moguls, turns, flags, and then I do pump track as well, which is like a you have no chain and you got to generate your own speed. So that's kind of more of a smaller event. Um, but yeah, so mountain biking and then the world titles that I've actually won, it's called four cross. Um, it's basically exactly what like chumpy pulling would do border cross, um, same as another Aussie world champ, Beck Brockhoff. Yep. Um, she, it's basically exactly border cross, but on a bike. So, <laughs> yeah, that's mountain bike world title category that I do. They, what I've found like over the last probably eight years of two Olympic cycles, um, having BMX and mountain biking has really kept me fresh. Like when one say isn't going so well or I'm very heavily focused on one, I think it's there's everyone or most athletes will talk about having that life balance and making sure that you've got that balance between your sport and your life. But yep. I think for me there's life balance, but then there's also sport balance. And yeah. I get like super focused and super competitive and like um, break everything down so much that for me over the last eight years, being able to bounce back and forward between uh, BMX and mountain bike for these Olympic cycles, it's kind of kept me fresh, but also 
the skills that I've gotten, they translate so much whilst mm. they're so different. Um, yeah, they've really been like a huge asset to my career. Yeah, Caroline, to actually do eight in eight years, because, <clears throat> excuse me, I had Lane on the podcast last year and she broke it down. Obviously, she won seven, but she had a break in between. But that first six for her, she's probably explained this to you as well, that she virtually didn't celebrate any of them. It was just kind of one to the next, to the next, to the next. How have you kind of embraced each championship that you've won? Um, I definitely know what she means by, yeah, not necessarily like celebrating them because I think the first one was definitely that celebration moment of like breaking into the mountain bike world. Yeah. I won my first world title and it was in my hometown. So it was like massive for me. It kind of launched my career. So that was a celebration moment. The next six for sure were just like back to back to back and, um, I, for probably the last five years, I've actually set goals of winning both the BMX World Championships and the Mountain Bike World Championships in the same year. So my most like crazy year was 2013, the year after the London Olympic Games. I had my kind of epic fail there where yeah. I missed the and David Beckham staring at me and <laughs> put the world on my shoulders of pressure and... Uh, my basically bounce back from that London Olympics was that following year I wanted to win three world championship titles in one year in 56 days, three different energy systems, wow. three different bikes. <laughs> it was downhill mountain biking, four cross mountain biking and BMX. So that was like, I kind of went out on like this mission, like that fire was lit and I was like, I want to win three in a year, do everything, try to dominate everything, handle all this pressure so then it makes Olympics easy. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that was a year that I, I walked away with the first time I'd ever won two in one year. From that first one, you know, now going back eight years, you know, you would have been 19 years old. You know, I know your family, your dad and your brother was right into the whole BMX thing as well. So they understand what it takes for you to actually become a champion. For those outside, such as just the general public or even maybe some of your family and friends that don't understand it, was that first championship kind of your way of saying, well, this is for real and this is something I want to do for the rest of my life? Um, I would say probably more back a step a little bit when I was about 14. I would say for most like athletes, that's that crucial point where you're debating, do I finish year 10? Do I not? Do I go to, you know, into high school? Do I get a career? Do I go into apprenticeship? Do I focus on university? And for me, it was that point that I was like, my parents were, they own their own business and my dad's in computer IT. And they obviously like put education quite high, but yep. at the same time, they knew you can come back to that. So they never forced me into going into a university degree. Um, but at the time, they were like, if you really buck, like buckle down, you're going to be a BMX bandit. So you're going to have to work on the brand, work on marketing, really build some great relationships um, to be this full-time athlete. Mm. Uh, this is your this is your full-time job. So, yeah, I think it was more at that point that my family, my friends, and everyone embraced that that was kind of the movement that I was going in. Yeah. Take away the sponsors, and I know that you're very, you know, you do a lot of work outside of the sport as well. Without that, is there much money actually in prize money and things on tour? 
Oh, definitely not. Um, I actually did a talk recently at Canberra Airport and we were used a bit of example as another Canberra athlete, tennis player, Nick Kyrgios. Mm. For him to uh, lose the Wimbledon quarterfinal, he <laughs> got, got paid like 300 and something thousand dollars <laughs> for one event. For one event, and yeah. And I worked out I'd have to win about a hundred consecutive world championship titles to equal just that one payout. Yeah. So like a world a world title is like for mountain bike two and a half grand for BMX racing it's like five grand. Wow. So uh yeah prize money alone definitely not within the industry definitely not I think speaking um hearing like some of Robbie Madison's podcasts uh, in the past he sort of speaks similar there's a definitely a trend within sport within action sport at the moment. The support from the industry seems to be getting very much more targeted, um, but limited as well. And it's really like what athletes are doing outside of the sport, the managements they're working with, the agencies, and how creative they're being to be a standout athlete and be a brand. It's fully 50-50 now. Like, you've obviously got to perform on the bike, but you've got to do so much off the bike as well. yeah. Which it, it, I think it's an exciting time. You know, some athletes have stepped up to the plate and evolved with social media and evolved with, like, video and branding and working, um, understanding how they can come under not only a sponsorship budget but also a marketing budget with companies now as well. Um, that's one thing that I've embraced, and that's the only reason why I think I've been able to continue evolving every year mm. and uh, – ride a kid's bike for a living basically yeah but but you talked about education like you've kind of had your own self-education you're teaching yourself all these business things you talked about you know you've obviously got a pretty huge social media and that's a big part of your branding as well you know eight years ago it was a lot different the world like 10 years ago facebook was only just launching compared to 10 years now now it's just like a bread and butter in every everyday life so it is kind of funny that you just do learn a lot of key skills away from sport as well Yeah, it's that definitely has been a huge, I would say, influence of my dad in computer IT when I was uh, coming out of school and this kind of shift before Facebook existed. um, We actually looked back and spoke about it the other day and pulled up one of my old websites, which we'd created together, and he'd helped me learn HTML coding to basically do that. And we looked back at a, a BMX forum, so it was like, forum website in Australia before social media existed and he'd helped me create gift banner ads on that forum diverting to my own website so I was basically like self-branding at about 13 years old before social media existed and this was kind of like what he said because there wasn't there definitely wasn't female mountain bike or female BMX races that had a job in this industry so he was kind of one that said, you're going to have to create what you want to be a part of for the future, and it all starts now. So I had some really great mentors around me that um, I actually he managed a road team in Melbourne, Tim Chad, and he really embraced it as well because I said, you know, what what's it going to take for me to be able to get to where I want to be? And he said, doing the small things daily. And as the industry evolves, evolving with it. So I remember, like, we actually laughed about the other day and we we found some emails that 
there was one that was like I would finish school and it would be like, today you're going to add 200 people on LinkedIn. And um, <laughs> your task for tomorrow is I'm going to call you and we're going to learn how to write a proper email. And the next day we're going to, um, you know, spend 20 minutes on teaching yourself through YouTube um, how to use Photoshop correctly. <laughs> so business coaching so like, pretty much. Man, like I look back at it and I'm like, every day, like I would do my schoolwork, I'd go train, I'd be at the gym in the morning. And then I'd kind of do all of that. And I didn't even realize at the time, I just thought that's what all athletes were doing. But they, they, they no, really were. You were ahead of your time. Um, yeah, but that was definitely the foundation that has now built and made me sort of be where I'm at today. Yeah, but you're lucky you learned it all those years back. Can you imagine trying to learn it now when it's pretty chaotic out there and the competition is just so high between each other? People are still trying to learn it and you're kind of advanced and evolving yourself into another level too. Yeah. Um, I definitely, now when I talk to other athletes coming through and I've now partnered with the Australian Computer Society on doing, through my social media, basically like helping this education for more athletes coming through now. So I'll have one coming out this week. It's just a video on how I create my race reports and my basically annual report at the end of the year before it's contract time and through now I use like MailChimp and programs to basically generate these reports but I used to photoshop the template email it out to my database and um yeah I think these are just like some small little tools which people can rely so much now athletes on YouTube and social media and think that that's all that that's all it's about but um, yeah, a lot of this education is now about self-teaching and creating those relationships and being in communication with the sponsors. And um, a lot of people aren't on social media. You know, they're on emails and it's working with that demographic too. So, yeah, you know, I enjoy it and I think I like giving back now. I'm definitely not at the end of my career. I'm still <laughs> like mid-career with like, Tokyo Olympics to come and BMX and mountain bike and I'd love to just go on to 10 world titles or more or don't know what the future holds but yeah kind of that's the power of social media too to tell your journey along the way yeah definitely short-term future one of the things I was really liking over the last few days was your preview for the living the ride show so tell me a little bit how it all came together and I know that it's sort of a mindset change for yourself I know reading something the other day, you were talking about going from podiums to really embracing the journey. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, I've had a TV show in the past through IMG. It was my journey to winning the overall BMX World Cup Tour. It was before the London Olympic Games, and I didn't understand, like, video distribution at the time, but worked with IMG, created this show, and it went through on to about 450 million distribution. It went on to the airlines. So it was like United, KLM, Qantas, all these in-flight entertainment, which was insane too, like sitting on a plane and watching oh, like cool. an hour yeah. doco. It's kind of weird. But that really sort of inspired me to continue with TV and video. Um, but it was really after the Rio Olympic Games. I remember sitting there so vividly, like I'd finished the Olympics, I'd – been the world champion at the time, like last like 2016, I won the BMX world title and the mountain bike world title, but was out in the semi-final Olympics. And 
for me, like, whilst I've won all these world titles and dominated the world, like, I haven't won a gold, a gold I mean, any medal of any yeah. colour Olympic Games. So I had that moment that I sat there and I was like, my entire world is, like, revolving around this Olympics. And I think it can be a little bit easy to follow, like, this yellow brick road. Like, it's this fantasy, like... Olympic Games, it's four years and your whole world revolves around it. So I sat there in Rio and I thought, you know what, I don't want my next four years to revolve around this yellow brick road fantasy pathway to the next Olympics. Um, It's a long time. There's a lot I can achieve and there's a journey along the way. So, yeah, my fiancé, Barry Nobles, he's a BMX mountain bike skydiver crazy person. (laughs) Um, it does everything, races Harley flat track, is in X Games the next year. So we both kind of said, you know, let's really embrace the journey of ne- next year. Um, not necessarily like living the dream, but living the ride, we ended up calling it. And, yeah, we did a, a TV show again, so three half-hour episodes, so an hour-and-a-half TV show that's being distributed now. And it follows the Crankworks World Tour. It started in New Zealand, and then we went to... Uh, France, and then Austria, went to Ibiza, and then went to Canada for the last of Crankworks, and then rounded it out with the World Championships in Italy. So it follows that kind of whole, that whole tour, but at every stop we worked with tourism, um, we did everything from like heli biking in New Zealand, so caught yep. a helicopter up to like Lord of the Rings, above the clouds, That's cool. riding down mountains, um, yeah, a lot of actions. A lot of action, adrenaline, but um, for us it was really, yes, to step away from the podiums, to enjoy the journey, um, but also to compete at the same time. And But really it's, yeah, to live the ride and embrace the highs and lows. So that's kind of where living the ride came from. Yeah, was there any one place that really blew you away? Uh, New Zealand, like, it's, I'd say, like, the action sport adrenaline centre of the world. Uh, we're in Queenstown and... Anything you want to do there, like luge, bungee jump, um, they've kind of got it all. So, yeah, probably I'd say probably New Zealand was a highlight, but rounding out the year in Whistler and coming away with that overall Crankworks Pump Track World Series title was, yeah, kind of a special moment for me too. Yeah, cool. You mentioned Barry before. You know, we we'll were having a laugh before about your backyard and how it's set up and how awesome the track is. How much training do you and Barry do together? Is it pretty competitive out there for you guys? <laughs> yeah, we are super competitive for sure. Um, it's funny, like, everyone talks about don't bring, like, with the relationships, you know, you don't want to bring, like, work home. And, well, we, like, live together, we train together, we eat together, we ride together, <laughs> like, travel together, our contracts are together. Like, yeah, it's a little bit insane. But we do have, like, <laughs> some separation, like, this morning, He's in the backyard building and I'm going to the gym and I come home and he's obviously working on different projects and now he's doing a lot of, um, with Harley Davidson, like the flat track motocross racing. So yeah, we do have like separation as well, but he's been a massive influence of me pushing my progression. Um, and I think that's really helped me excel because there's so many days that I don't want to get up there on that start ramp or I don't want to look at a a Nitro Circus mega ramp jump and think, oh, yeah, I want to, I want to jump that. And if it goes wrong, I'm probably going to break something. So, <laughs> but you jumped one recently, yeah. right? Yeah, I ended up jumping the Nitro Circus mega ramp this year, which was 
more of a goal and you know now that I've done that now I want to backflip it and it's always <laughs> it's always like progressing but yeah he's he's a nuts one that doesn't treat me like I'm a girl just completely completely raises the bar every time and gets like my full potential out of me so yeah nah it's, it's good having him around but it's hard to keep up sometimes <laughs> yeah Caroline did you ever attempt to backflip before you met him no, never. Um, pretty much once I met him, that was where that kind of progression started. But then the freestyle element as well. So, yeah, it's with the mountain biking I do, but then the BMX racing at the moment, I'm also dabbling in a little bit of the freestyle elements too and learning more tricks off the bike and, yeah, expanding my options because every year there's new opportunities that arise and um, I think I've never wanted to just be I like just a BMX racer, just a mountain biker. I've always yep. wanted to just dominate it on two wheels and excel. Well, it's a way for kind of you can prolong your career by doing external things. Like you're not going to be able to race into your forties, right? But you might be able to do nitro circuit or do other events where you just do extreme things, right? Yeah, or um, like now I'm a ambassador of Harley Davidson too, so. That's obviously like when my motor runs out, then I can jump on a motor and whether it is flat track racing, I think, yeah, the options of prolonging my career are definitely a lot more options now. So, yeah, I think I'm in a good position. One of my biggest mountain bike competitors, she's nine years older than me. So I think now I've just turned 27, but comfortably can sort of say, you know, I've at least got about eight more years in mountain biking and moto or BMX or whatever I kind of want to do. So the journey just keeps going. Yeah. You know, in terms of the amount of success that you've had, you know, you spoke before about helping kind of mentor the next maybe generation or other people in business or even in the sport as well. Do you have a, do you see it as a bit of an obligation considering how much success you've had? So then when you finish the sports, there's other people to come through. So then it, the success at the Australian level just continues to flow through. Yeah. And I think, again like Roy Madison he mentioned something in one of your other podcasts it's like you do feel like you have a little bit of an obligation but I think it's great to be inspirational but all the athletes coming through there's never going to be another Roy Madison there's never going to be another Caroline Buchanan there's going to be other athletes that will reinvent themselves in other ways and have a different journey and pathway but um, I know for me I started Buchanan Next Gen, which is my own next generation program. Um, it's a girls team, that right? That started, yeah, girls team. Um, it started off with just wanting to be able to help these girls go compete at the international level at the world championships. And so I ended up using crowdfunding to begin with to do that. I remember I like sold my uh, a helmet from like the London Olympic Games and like world title jerseys and like all this stuff. We ended up raising like 10000 and got these two girls to the world championships. And from there, it it grew um, into the next year, having more girls. And then I restructured it to being a scholarship program. And that was when Jayco came on board and they became a sponsor of it. So now at the national championships, the girls who are 14, 15, at that kind of crucial point that in my, my career, I needed Lane Beachley to believe in me through her Aim for the Stars Foundation. I've chose that same age group um, and said, you know, here's an opportunity for you girls, uh, for the ones that 
that apply for this grant and do are the highest placed in the 14, 15 age group at nationals, you'll win $3,000 each and that'll basically help cover your airfares and accommodation to get you to the world championships. Um, and yeah, I think I now, like it gives me so much energy because I'll be there racing myself, but I can turn around and see these girls, which are going through those same stepping stones of seeing the world, like them being in Colombia or this year in America or next year and it's in Baku, Azerbaijan in the Middle East. Wow. So there's going to be two girls there that I've helped fund that are going to have their eyes open to like, this is a future, the world championships, the, the competitive scene and, and kind of paved that way. But, um, but even yeah, seeing the Middle East for the too. first time is just will be amazing for him. Yeah. Just to get out of the bucket insane. of Australia. Yeah. No, so I definitely enjoy that. I don't, yeah, as I said, I don't feel it like it's an obligation, but it definitely gives me a lot of energy. And I know I've been fortunate to have people like Lane that have helped me believe in myself. So if I can even just be that little percent that can help these girls or boys believe in themselves, um, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, an interesting thing Lane actually told me, we were comparing strengths and weaknesses, and she said that she always focused on her weaknesses because she was already so strong at the other things that she didn't have to. Has she spoken to you a little bit about this at all? Yeah, a little bit. Um, One of my, I guess you could say, weaknesses over the years is um, sort of worrying about my competition too much or my competitors or what they're doing or... um, you know, there's mind games in sport and mm. you've definitely got to have a tough shell and that's, I wear my heart on my sleeve and as everyone can see, like, if I'm devastated, there's tears at Olympics. Like, I put yeah. my heart and soul into it. So, yeah, she's helped me more with those weaknesses of, yeah, creating those harder shells, being that mirror to to your competitors and the mirror to people that are trying to knock you down or, um, yeah, but I think... For me, my strength has always been my dad's a track velodrome cyclist. He was um, training when he was younger to be in the Commonwealth Games squad. So my genetic background is definitely like a sprinter. Mm. So I've got some really good genes um, and I'm very strong, so I continue that. But my weakness has definitely been the skill side of it, the progression, the yeah, the mental toughness as well. So Lane, she's she's a badass. <laughs> she is. She's, she's been the one that's like when I need it to be just told how it is, not sugar-coated, she's the first one to be like, uh, this is how it is. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of other mentors around me as well. But, um, yeah, just people like her, I think it's just being real with yourself and yep. asking yourself the hardest question of, you know, have you really put in 100% today? Have you been eating right? Have you been sleeping right? Like, they're kind of, you got to be truthful with yourself. Carolyn, you mentioned competitors before. You know, having interviewed a lot of surfers, you see on their social media they're all mates and they all hang out when they're not actually competing. What's the actual tour like for you guys on the BMX and mountain bike? Are you guys quite close or you just kind of, you know, seclude yourselves from each other? Um, mountain biking is definitely more that, like, sort of skiing, surfing kind of vibe. Uh, it's a lot more laid back. You're in the mountains. You're in the element. You're not going head-to-head really with one another. So, yeah, there's definitely, like, a lot of friendships and, like, good times. And that's what I love about having that variety and balance within sport of experiencing that and loving it. And this year doing, like, we had a whole ladies' ride, like, ride out. So at every event, all the ladies 
we'd go out and do something like whether it was axe throwing or bobsled or um yoga like something random um but yeah on the bmx side it's super competitive you know we're head to head there's no white lines you can give a chicken elbow over a corner you can't cut her off so she wrecks at the first jump like (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) it's it's a little bit more brutal so i would say bmx racing there aren't as many friendships it is a lot more competitive i think we all have so much in common we could be great friends after sport but within the time of the sport it, it's competitive <laughs> yeah and to go to the olympics it's only bmx the olympics not mountain bike right uh mountain biking is but it's cross country so that's okay. yeah that ain't me yeah <laughs> that's a that's that endurance um slow twitch energy system <laughs> and you know we spoke about the olympics before i know you call it a failure but to go to actual two games that's still pretty impressive we come back to it, and you've won eight world championships compared to the times when you caught failure. Did you learn more from the Olympics than you have during your actual normal career? Yeah, for sure. Like, when I got back to Canberra from uh, the Rio Olympics, I was doing a talk at a school with the Australian Olympic Committee, and, um, yeah, this little kid, he's like, this is his perception of watching YouTube and how he's grown up. But he was probably about eight, and he's like, you've beaten the world eight times and you were the world champion at the time. You've had two epic fails. And I was like, <laughs> epic <jump>. fail. Okay, <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, no, I think it's been a learning process and I would love to have like a Stephen Bradbury moment um, at the Tokyo Olympics. <laughs> um, you've got to be, in, you've got to be in the right moment to be there. You've got to have a little bit of luck on your side, but there's all those years of hard work. And I think, you know, even, People like having that Bradbury moment, he still had the world titles before that. He still had yeah. an amazing like journey at the top. So It's funny that yeah. no one knows that side of him either because I remember I interviewed him last year and I knew a bit about him, but I didn't realise that what happened to him, well, he was the one falling down at two Olympics before that. So it was kind of like, you know, he did pick it up when he wasn't supposed to win, but when he was supposed to win, he actually fell down as well, so... It's quite yeah. a, a really interesting story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, for Tokyo, obviously, I want to be in it to win it again. But my most successful years have been the years following the Olympic Games where you learn from those mistakes or those failures or those hard times and, and you build upon it. So I wouldn't be an eight-time world champion now without what's happened at those two Olympic Games because it's every time it's lit that fire and... I think that's, you know, important in such a, a long career. Like, I've been racing BMX since I was five. Yeah. So. <laughs> Guys, we're going to take a little break from the podcast with Caroline Buchanan. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show via iTunes or you can catch the show at www.talkingwithtk.com. If you're into action sports, I wanted to give you a preview of, well, a snippet of one of my past guests which was only a couple episodes ago, and it was with big wave surfer Mark Matthews. So let's check it out. And it, it was really about the, the one that real distinguishing factor, and this is the thing that, that UFC fighting and, and athletics and sports really uh, distinguishes. Mm. So in big wave surfing, like there's that fear of drowning, right? Of oh, dying yeah. and stuff like that which is scary, of course. But then in UFC, it's funny when you chat to a lot of the fighters, 
they're not that scared of getting hurt, which is crazy, right? That, that's not their biggest fear. Their biggest fear is losing in front of an audience and letting their team down, yeah. letting their coaches down, like that expectation. Because the team is, becomes huge, yeah. because they become like family. They're family. These people's like, they've got all these other careers yeah. that they're supporting through their fighting. And it's like they're, they're standing in that ring alone, but on behalf of all these people. So the expectation is, as, is more stressful for them than the actual danger. Do you know what I mean? Like, and that's such an uh, interesting dynamic when you deal with fear. So guys, that was Mark. So check out the full episode either on iTunes or on the website at www.talkingwithtk.com. If you're into your action sports, we've had, like I mentioned, we've had Robbie Madison and Mark Ocalupa on the show, but plenty of Australia's best stars have been on there, including the likes of Steve Waugh, Andrew Weddinghausen, Mark Hunt, Bradley Clyde, Kieran Perkins, Michael Klim. There's a there's a whole catalogue of back shows that you need to go and check out. So please check out that, share it with your family and friends, and please get in touch with me on all the social medias or via email to let me know what you think of the show. But let's get back to it and back with our podcast with Caroline. Carolyn, did you put too much pressure on yourself leading into these, those Olympics? And would you do something different if you did going into Tokyo? Yeah, I would say I definitely like um, some athletes work better under external pressure. Or for me, I naturally just put a lot of pressure on myself. Like uh, it's one of my best traits, one of my worst traits. I think it's why I am at the top level of sport. Um, I learned a massive lesson, I think, again this year with this Living the Ride uh, TV show and just the entire year and what we were doing, but so much more relaxed. Like, um, I was doing BMX and mountain biking, but I wasn't scared of injury at the same time, which is one thing which I think has, like, set me back in past years that if I had an event coming up, I'd be like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I might get injured. Yeah. Um, whereas this, I was like, you know what? I want to jump the Nitro Circus Mega Ramp. Yes, there's risks. I have a BMX race the next weekend, a mountain bike race the weekend after our mid-season, but all right, we're doing it. Like, let's live the ride. And everything worked out, and it was fine. And, like, I didn't have any injuries this year. I had my most hectic season. I had, like, um, almost won a BMX world title. I was 0.008. So the photo Uh. finish um, at the BMX world title on the mountain bike. Um, But for me, yeah, I think, having that more balance, um, but also just really not being, like, consumed as much by sport. So for Tokyo, it not being my absolute world is kind of the direction I'm going in, um, which I think you but you definitely as an athlete perform better when that just natural uh, performer can come out. And for me, that natural performer comes out when I do have that balance, but I give myself the opportunity to have that mongrel and that fight and mm. you can pull out that desire. Whereas I think when you just, you're consumed by it and you want it so bad, then it's more that thing of, I can't fuck up. Like I can't do something yep. wrong. Like I crash. Like it's all the, you look at the tree and hit the tree. So <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the opposite of what I want to be doing. Um, come Tokyo, which, uh, has always been my years after the Olympics. So History's repeating itself, and yeah, I can say eight years later, I'm really putting that into effect. Yeah, Carol, let's 
turn a little bit into getting a few insights into both your physical and your mental training. Let's start at the mental side of things. What sort of things are you doing to prepare yourself? Are you doing a lot of visualization training? Visualization, um, definitely for mountain biking, like visualizing the track. So sitting there before and it might be like a three-minute course. So I'm going through every corner, every jump, where I'm pedaling. Um, for BMX, I do a little bit sort of similar. Like I'll visualize how I can foresee the event happening. So I'll visualize like best-case scenario. I'm getting lane one. I've got that inside advantage. Everything's going smooth. And then I'll visualize at the same time worst-case scenario timing's messed up or yep. I didn't get qualifier rounds and I'm in lane eight and what it's going to look like, how it's going to feel um, and kind of go visualize everything, like visualize the fear, the emotion, the um, I've really worked on like my mental state. I think being able to separate your feelings, emotions and actions has mm. been over the last like eight years, what I've focused on. So I think, when I've had to step up and jump new big jumps or triples or evolve with the sport of BMX, when it stepped into the Olympic game movement and everything got bigger, um, I like to visualize fear, kind of like put it in my back pocket instead of fighting it and be like, all right, let's have this 10 seconds of courage. You're coming along for the ride and we're doing this together. So really embracing it instead of fighting it. Um, because when you fight fear, you just end up being your own worst enemy and you're like, I shouldn't be scared. Like I should be better than this. And the ego comes into it. Whereas when you embrace that fear and you say like, you know, thanks for warning me that I could die right now. Um, <laughs> let's uh, come along with a ride and thanks for waking me up. All my senses are alert. You know, I'm feeling all these emotions and it's just energy and actually being like, all right, I'm filled with energy because I'm nervous right now. Yeah. So let's kind of like take that and take action and go and do it regardless of how you feel. Um, that's been kind of the biggest thing that the Australian Institute of Sport has helped me with through their psychologists and my coaches and um, implementing that daily. Yeah, that's a huge change in mindset. Was there a particular person within that? Was that your head coach that kind of got you going towards that? Uh, yeah, head coach, uh, but mainly... Uh, Kirsten, who's my psychologist at the Australian Institute of Sport, she's she's been a big one that's sort of, I'd be at a race and something would happen or, you know, a boyfriend would break up with me or, you know, I haven't slept and I'd be like, I can't race today. Like, I can't go and race a world title. And um, the performer's got to show up every time regardless of these excuses. And I think to be bigger than your biggest excuse and to separate yeah those kind of emotions and and feelings um it doesn't really matter how you feel your body is capable of what you've actually trained it to do so that's always a reminder for me um is being like my body is capable of this regardless of how i feel and then go and take action yeah you still in touch with her now yeah we we work together all the time so I've been working with her probably the last like nine years through AIS. Oh, awesome! You're so mad, like just a great relationship. Then she knows everything about you. Yeah, and my gym coach Julian Jones, his uh, wife is actually Patria Thomas, who won like oh, cool, the ten Olympic, ten Olympic, yeah, gold yeah. medals at Olympics, and so he obviously trained her through all of that, and is now her wife. And yeah, so the sort of people that I have around me, they're all champions. You, do you think that's important? Because I know you spoke, you know 
through a lot of this about Lane, and I've heard you mention also Robert DiCostello is a big mentor of yours as well. Is that a huge thing? And, you know, now you've got Barry around you. Your dad and your brother when you were growing up were very integral as well. Is that a huge thing for you, just having that team and having a great inner circle? Yeah, because they're the ones that constantly keep you on track when you don't know what to do or you're fighting for answers or you're being your own worst enemy. Um, yeah. They're the ones which can kind of give you that little slap around and be like, no, this is the direction, you know, you really want it or tell you tell you what you need to hear. <laughs> yeah, for sure. In terms of, you know, your physical stuff now, you know, you spoke before about your sport being very uh, short twitch. You're in the faster sort of thing. How do you actually prepare? Can you give us like an insight into a typical week and the things that you actually do? Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, typical week would be gym training is like the racing, the key at, to get that power to go and get out in front and out of trouble. That's, I would say, almost like 90% of the race. It's basically over within the first like two seconds. You hit the bottom of the ramp. And if you've been able to get that little one centimeter handlebar on someone else, you virtually have won the race. So um, I do three gym sessions a week in sort of those training peak times. That's roughly like two-hour gym sessions. It's mainly I'll do a strength block and then work into power before events and bring in that speed at the last moment, that strength times speed is power. So I focus a lot on that. For mountain biking, it's way more skill-orientated, getting out on the trails, getting fatigued so doing longer sort of trail events Mm -hmm. and having that general overall fitness um i guess you wouldn't think the sports that are not endurance sports that are sprint sports that you would need that endurance but what i've found over the years is having that little bit more endurance capability and being overall fit and healthy when i am traveling the world and i'm going from one country to the next and I'm doing all these competitions, that ability to feel like you can handle fatigue, mm. and that's kind of where the general fitness comes into it, to be able to just repeatedly back it up week after week after week. So, yeah, I do have um, blocks throughout the year where I focus on that endurance, and then, like in my house, I've got a watt bike, so I work on the repeatable power. Oh, they're brutal. When I'm in Australia, I use, like, the Australian Institute of Sport, um, and we have, like, benchmark testing throughout the year as well to make sure I'm on track. Yeah, Carolyn, when you're actually racing, when you're lined up with the other girls on the starting block, when that barrier is stopping you guys from actually taking off, what's going through your mind in those kind of last few seconds before that thing goes down and you all just race off? Um, my mind's pretty clear by that point. So I focus a lot on breathing. Um, that's one of the best ways that I've been able to control my emotions and stay in the moment and stay in the present. So the whole way up the start hill, I'm just focusing on breath in, breath out. Yeah. Do you meditate? Really, yeah, yeah. Um, there's been little techniques I've learned through guided meditation and apps. Um, and then 
implemented into daily life is more the biggest challenge that I've found with meditation. It's hard to be like, all right, I'm going to dedicate 20 minutes and sit on a yoga mat and I'm going to meditate. But for me, it's been being mindful daily. So when you brush your teeth, like brush your teeth for like two minutes, try to be mindful for those two minutes. Like, and I'll challenge myself. I'll be like, all right, I'm going to brush my teeth with my left hand. And like, anytime I get distracted, it's brushing your teeth. Oh, I'm going to do today, brush your teeth. So that ability to like keep coming back to the moment, it's like a muscle. So I like to strengthen it every single day so that then when I do compete and you are distracted by David Beckham looking back at you and different things that pop up, you can come back to the moment and then be ready for that reaction, that random gate start to drop and go compete. That's pretty brutal, David Beckham looking back at you. I think anyone... Getting oh. looked at by David Beckham, we just go, oh, geez, I'm freaked out. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of, you know, your starting block, I think you spoke before about the inside lane. Is that the position that you guys always want to be in? That is it lane one? Is that the kind of the big advantage to be in? Yeah, lane one is that inside advantage. You're on the inside, you've got seven others on the outside of you. So to set... A lot of races are won and lost in the preparation and just setting yourself up to be on that dance floor to be able to win. So, yeah, throughout the day, having the fast qualifier, so learning the track, getting it dialed, having the fast qualifier and getting out in front early, it then just snowballs to continue to set yourself up through the rounds, the quarters, the semifinals, and then come to the final. You're making your job easier. So, um, that's a big focus. But then obviously, like, if it does go wrong, and this year at the World Championships, I won my quarterfinal, um, but the timers messed up. And we had video proof overlay, and they put me, like, four seconds behind, and I had lane eight for my semifinal. Oh, no. And I was like, i got to get across seven riders by that first corner. And, um, yeah, I just – I'm when times of adversity pop up, that's really like it lights a fire inside me. I think I channel that through looking back. Growing up, our family home was burnt down by the Canberra bushfires and like I lost everything. Yep. And then my brother, he ended up having a major injury and he was like a quadriplegic, paraplegic and then had surgery and regained feeling. He doesn't race anymore, but you know, like those times is just those reality adversity moments. Um, yeah, they sparked this fire in me. So when I was in, like, that lane eight for the final, I was like, bring it on. Like, yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I love that moment. Um, yeah, and I was in front of the Olympic champion by the second jump and went on to get the fastest lap time for the semi and had lane one for the final. Yeah, but that's two huge moments in your life. And I guess it does put life in perspective that at the end of the day, it's just sports, right? Yeah, it really did. Um and that's always what my, my family said, like, from the beginning. When we did lose everything in the fires, the only thing we kept was our bikes. So while my dad was on the roof, like, with the hose and my mum was trying to grab passports and things, I went and grabbed bikes and I, like, put them in the trailer and we drove off. And that was, like, all we were left with. So um, it was sport that kept us on track. But my dad always said, like, you know, it's just sport. And that's kind of what my coach has always said, too, when – it's been to the end of the world for me and my brain with these like Olympic 
um, experiences at the end of the day, he's like, it's just, it's just sport. And, um, for me, I would say probably one of my biggest career highlights was actually in Rio. When I crashed in the semifinal, I went into the stands and had the Aussie flag around my neck and I wanted to watch the final. And as I walked up into the stands, it was like majority South Americans. Um, I got a standing ovation. So the entire wall of people stood up and That's fantastic. I'm yeah. just walking in and it was that it was that moment for me that I was like, this is the Olympic spirit. Like this is what Pierre de Coubertin, the founder of the Olympic games, he always, his quote was that it's not about winning, but it's about fighting well and fighting fair. And that was that moment for me to be like, this is my Olympic moment. Like I've gotten a standing ovation as the respect as an athlete, the respect to Mariana Pajon, who has won two Olympic games now, but, I've beat her in multiple world titles and I've, I've never put her over a corner. I've never beaten her unfairly and mm. I've been a champion. So I was kind of like, man, this is that like real Olympic champion moment, um, regardless of the result. So it's yeah. champion's mindset. It looks like that you found. Yeah, that was, that was my kind of career highlight. It's a great career highlight. All right, Caroline, we're going to wrap things up. We've got a couple of personality ones just to wrap it up. First one, I'm going to take you back to your childhood. Now, I know that you said your family home got burnt down, but before that, what posters did you have on your bedroom wall growing up? (laughs) Posters. So Luke Medill, he was like my idol. He's a BMXer, Red Bull athlete, had the Olympic track in his backyard. He was always who I looked up to for BMX, so he was my poster on the wall. Um, but yeah, I loved action, anything action sports. So even uh, <laughs> funny as it sounds, Sheckler, Ryan Sheckler, skateboarder yeah, yeah, yeah. as well. Like I watched his <laughs> Life of Ryan show growing up. So it's like- always been action sport. But when I was three years old, we walked into um, so that the not DVD back going back to video days. Um, the video that I watched on repeat as a kid was actually when I was like three, we walked through the bookstore and I picked out this video and I was doing gymnastics at the time and it was Nadia Comaneci and it was about her documentary of how she got the perfect 10 score in gymnasts, like being a gymnastic athlete. And mum was thinking, you're two, like you're three years old. You've picked out this <laughs> because you're doing gymnastics and I would just watch it on repeat. And like BMX wasn't an Olympic sport, but I think I was really drawn to just that champion, like whether it was a champion athlete, a champion human, like uh, that was kind of always my inspiration. So whether it was that video of Nadia or Ryan Sheckler's thing or, you know, these BMX athletes on my wall, they're all just champions. Yeah. Are you drawn kind of, because I love movies like Triple X and that, are you drawn to those sort of movies or do you kind of like to separate yourself from those? Um, kind of separate a little bit. Like I love docos, um, and anything to do with like athletes. Um, yeah, athletes, they're my rock stars or my superheroes, but the separation. So like, I love reality junk TV, like sign me up to couch with the Kardashians, like (laughs) that, like whole contrast or like, I love like prison movies, like whatever it is. Um, yeah, I, that's also with like meditation or yoga. That's my contrast and my like outlet and my French bulldogs. And that's kind of my world away from 
BMX and trying to hang with the boys. Yeah, I think the Kardashians, it really puts life in perspective in terms of how quickly life can change. I remember watching it with my sister 10 years ago and, you know, the family was normal. Bruce was a guy and all sorts of things. And now everything's <laughs> different. Bruce is a girl and they're all crazy. Yeah, all those years later. <laughs> People still watch them. I still watch them. Well, they just signed a massive new deal too. I couldn't believe what she got from it. It was like $200 million or something for a new season. It was crazy. Oh, yeah. they. I think there was something I saw at least like lately. It's like one of them gets like half a million for one branded post on social media. And then you've got like LeBron James who's one of the highest as well paid. And I think I saw his was like 250000 for a, a paid promotional social media post. So that's crazy. That's another world. Like insane. Yeah. Final question, Caroline. You're going to be hosting a private dinner party. You've now you've got five invites. Only rules, no family or friends, but it can be anyone, dead or alive. Who would you like to invite? Oh, my God. Uh, well, Pink, number one. Oh, she's amazing. And then she can bring Kerry Hart because he's pretty good to look at. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would be two. You know what, Nicole Kidman, because she's like BMX bandits, and I think it would be just cool to meet her. Um, throw a random in the mix. Might as well throw Trump in for some, uh, just some random. <laughs> yeah, entertainment. Uh, and then... I don't know, maybe just, yeah, invite some mentors to the mix. So someone like Lane and round it out for five. Should be some entertainment. I couldn't imagine her and Trump sitting down at the table. No, I should probably punch him, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> my oh, pink might get in there as well. Yeah, I think so. Caroline, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Before I let you leave, everyone get following Caroline online. She's www.carolinebuchanan.com. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, she's cbuchanan68. And YouTube, she's got an amazing channel, so get ch- following that. It's Caroline Buchanan. Caroline, I really appreciate you coming on the show today and being so open and honest. I really appreciate it. Cool. Thank you. Guys, we hope you enjoyed the episode with Caroline Buchanan. It's one of my favorite ones that I've brought to brought to you guys so far. Please continue to support her online, www.carolinebuchanan.com. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, CBuchanan68. YouTube channel is very, very special. Lots of action, lots of just video clips and just insights into her career and all the different competitions. So check her out, Caroline Buchanan. Guys, next week on the show, a couple of former Wallabies are going to be coming in. We've got Nathan Charles who will be joining us from the UK. He's over there playing for Bath at the moment. And we've also got former Wallaby. Clyde Rathbone making an appearance. So really stoked to get the boys on the show. If you haven't yet, please subscribe via iTunes or you can check out the show at www.talkingwithtk.com. If you, you know, if you've got a little bit extra, please share with your family and friends. I really appreciate that. You can connect with me on Facebook, Talking With TK. Same handle on Twitter. LinkedIn, I'm Tristan Cannell, K-apostrophe-N-E-L-L. Or Instagram, I'm Tristan Nell. Guys, we really hope you enjoyed the episode with Caroline Buchanan. If you did, please reach out to her, tag her on a few posts on Twitter or Facebook or any of the social medias that you use. Same, tag me as well. Get in touch and let let us both know what you thought of the episode. But until next week, guys, I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking With TK.